Welcome to Stay Engaged 2021. Everything you know and love about IAB Engage, but brought to you day by day. It's Engage, but offstage. Stay Engaged is hosted in partnership with Quantcast, creators of a new and innovative intelligent audience platform. In today's daily offstage session, IAB UK's Sophia Haynes chats to the British Heart Foundation's Executive Director for Marketing, Fundraising and Engagement, Claire Sadler. They cover Claire's high-profile marketing career, her role as Executive Committee member of Wackle, and explore how the pandemic has affected Claire's leadership style and the charity's approach to its marketing. Here's the IAB's Sophia Haynes. So welcome Claire and thank you for joining me. And hello Sophia, it's lovely to be here. Fantastic. So we go back, we met at the agency Proximity London when I was your account manager and I'm curious to find out if you think that marketers who start out at agencies as you did make better clients. Oh, that's an interesting question. It definitely gives you a better understanding of how agencies work and how to get the best out of the agency team. I think it teaches you certainly the importance of a great brief. So rubbish in and you get rubbish out. The importance of honest, constructive feedback on both sides, both, you know, from the agency and from the clients. And the importance of building a really strong and respectful sort of partnership relationship. You don't want to be the client or the account in the agency that nobody wants to work on. (laughs) I have a belief that clients get the work that they deserve. And I know, you know, certainly you and I had our fair share of difficult clients as, as well as good ones. It definitely gives you a very useful and valuable perspective on, you know, agency life and how to get the best out of that agency partnership. And so in light of the last 18 months of lockdown, how has the British Heart Foundation been hit by the closure of charity shops and the inability to host in-person fundraising events? Oh, I suppose in many ways it's been a perfect storm. People with heart and circulatory diseases, many of whom are at increased risk of COVID, have never needed our help more. But at the same time, we saw, you know, as you said, all of our fundraising events cancelled. Our face-to-face fundraising events were cancelled, including our flagship London to Brighton bike ride. All 730 of our shops were closed pretty much for most of last year. And net income fell by about 50% in the last financial year, which means this year we've, you know, had to halve the amount that we would normally invest in new life-saving research. So... It's going to take us probably a few years to recover from that impact. And I guess these challenges force you as a marketer to focus on the core of what the British Heart Foundation is, not only as a brand, but also its purpose as an organisation. So how do you define those core values for employees and the public who both support and benefit from your world-leading research? Yeah, I mean, it definitely forces you to go back and refocus and regroup and refresh your thinking and think about your strategy for the recovery year ahead. And I mean, I've only been at the British Heart Foundation for six months, but one of the first things that I did when I joined the organisation was to take that step back and review our brand strategy. We went right back to looking at all of our customer insight with two weeks worth of desk research and multiple depth interviews. And what we found is the British Heart Foundation is a really well-known brand. You know, our brand awareness is about 93%. But if you scratch beneath that headline awareness number, we've got a real issue around relevance. Heart and circulatory disease, despite them being the world's biggest killers, 
are just not seen as relevant or urgent. And the majority of people aren't sure what we actually do, even though research is our fundamental reason for being. What we found is that we've got a pretty awe-inspiring product, if you take the British Heart Foundation as a product and what we do, but we've a brand that really isn't working quite hard enough for us at the moment. The essence of our brand is about powering science to save lives. And together, through the work of employees and the fundraising support of the public and our corporate partners, all of that is about powering science to save lives. And we do that through our expertise, our courage and our energy and passion, really, to be at the forefront of research and medical breakthroughs and through our compassion for those living with heart and circulatory disease. So, yeah, we've gone right back to the clean sheet of paper to take that step back and look at what we really stand for in people's lives. And coupled with that, you've held several pitches since joining, reviewing your agencies. So could you quickly run through your new agency partners? And I particularly am keen to hear from you a little bit more about the tactical Vinnie Jones ad which you aired in response to Kristen Erickson's collapse on the pitch during Euro 2020, because that was a very speedy response to what was a very real issue. So at the end of last year, you know, one of the things that the British Heart Foundation did as a response to COVID was they obviously had to take a long, hard look at how they were operating and the costs that they were operating under. And they made the decision to bring together marketing, fundraising and communication teams together into one team. Historically, marketing had set separately to fundraising and with separate and multiple agencies, it's very hard to deliver an integrated and effective marketing strategy. So I wanted to bring the teams together with a more integrated and focused marketing strategy. And I wanted to you know, choose agency partners who would be a force for integration, working with us and not just working with us, but working well with each other. And that was really important to me. So we're fortunate and excited now to, you know, have concluded our pitches. We're working with two of the best agencies in the country. We've got PhD for all our media planning and buying, and we've got Saatchi and Saatchi as our lead creative agency. And the Vinnie Jones ad, the, the ad we never expected to make, came about after watching Christian Eriksson suffer, you know, cardiac arrest on the pitch, which was a shocking moment for everyone who saw it. And it just goes to show that heart disease can strike anyone at any time and often without warning. In instances like that, we're often the organisation that people turn to. Our press office phone didn't stop ringing after that happened and visits to our CPR and DFib pages of our website surged by about more than 2,000% within a couple of days. So working with Saatchi's and PhD, and they just literally both been on board a couple of weeks, but we all rallied and we saw an opportunity to create something really positive in response to that sort of heart-wrenching situation. We felt that we could turn that into something positive by creating a call on the nation to learn CPR and do that with the help of the British Heart Foundation's old friend, Vinnie Jones. So the idea for the ad was conceived on the Tuesday afternoon and by Thursday the same week it was live on air ahead of Denmark taking on Belgium. In terms of you know what that ad did for us and for the country it was seen by you know as you'd expect a huge amount of people 1.6 million people I think it was but it also created loads and loads of additional news coverage we reaching about another 20% of the UK population and 
The traffic that was driven to the British Heart Foundation website meant that by the end of that week, we'd managed to potentially create 140,000 new lifesavers in the UK by the number of people who'd visited that How to Save a Life content. And that's the equivalent of, you know, Wembley and Hampden Park combined. You know, it was a great example of what can be achieved when our lead agencies and the British Heart Foundation, you know, unite behind a common goal. And whilst we didn't do that ad to make money, we did that ad to help people learn CPR and the importance of learning CPR and how to use a DFib. But we did see an increase in income. We saw our CPR kit sales increase the week after the ad by about 300%. And even though we didn't ask for donations, one-off donations increased by 17% in the week after the ad ran. So it was a really great example of integration and uniting behind a common purpose and a common goal. And to that point, what is the balance of spend and trend on using one-to-one social media platforms versus that mass paid media like TV? That old chestnut, we've just reviewed it as part of our planning work for the second half of this year. Obviously, there's a role for both. We've been off air with any brand advertising since last year, but we also need to recover our income. So we're planning with about 55% brand, 44% activation, which is pretty much in line with best practice within the charity sector and not far off in line with, you know, the 60-40 best practice split. And now that things are easing, what are the plans that you have for mass participation events? You mentioned the London to Brighton bike ride. Is that on the cards for next year or, or are there other plans afoot or is it all too early to say? All our mass participation events have, have, you know, restarted this year, which has been great, you know, a really positive move forward. And we've had our first face-to-face event with a successful Bournemouth peer-to-peer swim and also the off-road version of London to Brighton. Both have seen really great demand. So people signing up, people taking part, the demand is definitely there now that we're able to hold the events again. And both have delivered income ahead of our original forecast. So in terms of income recovery, we're feeling fairly positive, quietly confident, I would say, having had a much better quarter one than we perhaps originally thought. London to Brighton for next year is most definitely on, assuming that there's no more COVID variants causing further lockdowns. But, you know, it's our flagship event and all being well, we're planning for it to be back and bigger for 2022. And the pandemic's brought such a shift in normal life for all of us and a step change in the growth of digital services. And I guess this has given you a chance to consider the tech areas you want to focus on. So which ones are currently offering your brand the chance to emerge from the pandemic in a more positive way? Certainly, internally, I'm leading a data and digital transformation programme. You know, customers are demanding more from brands and businesses. Their expectations are set by the best experiences they have. And the fact that we're a charity doesn't matter or not, that they'll still expect a great experience. So being able to engage and support them across multiple channels, customers expect you to know you, you know, understand them, whether that's by phone, on the web or in store, that, you know, customers are expecting tailored and more personalised experiences with the brands that they shop or engage with. And we, as the British Heart Foundation, need to be better equipped to meet those customer expectations. 
So the data and digital transformation program is very much about bringing us up to date in terms of making sure that our data is all brought together in a single customer view. And that data and digital capability gives us the chance to be able to automate and personalise our customer and supporter journeys as well as improve our analytics and our insight capability. And that's something that has been probably quite difficult in the past with multiple systems across different platforms in different teams. So certainly we've got an opportunity to make data and digital work much harder for us in that way. From an external perspective, we're absolutely continuing to grow our online retail operation with eBay and with other online platforms. One of the things that absolutely wowed me once I joined the British Heart Foundation was the scale um, and and impact of our retail operation, both high street store presence, but also online. Our eBay operation now operates from a very large warehouse facility in Leeds. It employs 100 people. Those 100 people value, test and list and sell all the high value and unusual items that are donated to our shops. And we know that we can achieve the maximum value by putting it out to the widest and most appropriate market. So large items like sofas and pianos and things are sold on a collect from store basis. We've got people that are trained to identify and ballpark and value those unusual items with 35 specialist listers in our Leeds warehouse. There's a great circular economy story with the retail operation as well because we receive many corporate donations from companies with excess or unwanted stock and Amazon is a partner of ours they're hugely generous in terms of the stock that we get from their warehouses and that just stops that stock going essentially to landfill and we know that throughout any what we call out any retail strategy it means we will take anything we can sell pretty much anything we will find the right channel to sell it in and that can be anything from high value collector's items books or records to industrial machinery or catering equipment you name it we've pretty much sold it we're doing a huge amount of business via ebay and we're forecasting you know that that is only going to grow and we're going to make sure that we continue down that any strategy because we know it works and we're going to make sure that we can list those items on the most appropriate digital platform where we know that we will sell so this year sales are going to exceed 11 million we are the second largest ebay for charity retailer in the world behind i think it's seattle goodwill in, in the states which is slightly larger the things that we sell always amazes me the top selling item we've had today is a Beatles single went for £9,300 but we've sold you know books rings cameras it's a fantastic and ever-changing selection I'd encourage everybody to take a look at BHF eBay because there's some amazing stock that we get on there that's amazing to hear and makes you think differently to taking down a bag of clothes. So fascinating and brilliant on the circular economy front. My next question is around the capabilities of tech. So whether it's Apple Watches, 3D printers and artificial intelligence. I'm curious as to how you see technology improving patient outcomes in terms of heart health, as presumably those sorts of things have a role to play. Yes, absolutely. And we are invest, you know, we invest in data and AI. We have our data science centre and that's very much about collecting data, obviously, in the right way, making that data available for us to 
understand and better predict earlier detection of heart diseases or better inform treatment and ultimately get to a more personalised patient care plan over time. And so now just looking back in your career at your roles at BT and Direct Line, without doubt you've got a reputation as a brilliant doer and a fabulous change maker and I know that firsthand. Also, your role within Wackle, whose purpose is to accelerate gender equality, has seen you further establish your credentials as a diversity champion. And I'm interested in where do you feel we are right now within diversity and what specific areas within the whole remit of diversity you're personally most committed to? I don't think we're anywhere near good enough in terms of gender diversity. While some progress has been made with more women on boards and women make up 20 six percent I think it is now of the FTSE 100 executive committees as reported in 2020's Hampton Alexander report it's not exactly half is it women make up half of the population and Covid has set us back even further with the global economic forum in their latest report saying we've actually gone backwards and they're forecasting that we'll we'll close the global gender pay gap in now 135 years so that gap has increased by a whole generation and when you add in the intersectionality of race or sexual orientation the picture gets even worse I think we've got a long way to go yet I'm committed to playing my part in trying to create gender equality and improving diversity and inclusion in its widest sense whether that's through Wackle and the things that I get involved there whether that's through their campaigning strategy or mentoring or whether it's through my day job, using my voice and my influence where I can. And that might be things like introducing marketing apprenticeships as a route into the marketing profession for those who might come from socially disadvantaged backgrounds, or making sure that as a client, I'm asking my agency in its supply chain that we go out to a diverse list of people for director's treatments for our advertising or asking them to provide their equality and diversity figures and activities as part of, you know, the early stages of pitch process. I try and use my personal voice and influence where I can. And I did actually actively discount some agencies at early stages of the pitch process because there was a lack of diversity in the leadership team or there was lack of activity actually to address the diversity gap that they did have. And, you know, at home, it's about talking to my two sons and teaching them about what it means to be an ally. We talk about work, my work and their dad's work. So it's sort of normal for them to see and hear about women in leadership positions. Stuff like that at home. And it's very much a division of labour in our house. All the stuff associated with running a house and having a family. They know that it's not just their mum that takes them to the doctor or the dentist. Their, Their dad does that stuff too. That's great. And that really ties in with Wackle's focus on deeds, not words, you know, really living it and really making change. My next question is really just on how you've adapted. So we've all had to adapt quite a lot (laughs) over the last 18 months. I'm curious as to how you've adapted your leadership style, not only starting a a new role and, you know, managing a new team. And what's personally kept you happy and motivated through this quite tricky period? Yeah, I started, you know, the new job in lockdown, which isn't ideal. It's just so much harder to get to know people virtually. You just don't get the edges, what I call the edges of conversation. Mm. You can't read the room or body language as well. I didn't actually meet any of my team face to face until June. In terms of, you know, adapting my leadership style, I think 
mainly I tried to be a lot kinder to myself and also trying to be more mindful and kinder to others. I mean, the whole homeschooling, juggling it with work was a complete nightmare and hopefully never to be repeated. And everyone's dealt with lockdown so differently that I just think it's been about kindness and compassion as far as possible as a leader and just trying to be kind to yourself and not give yourself a hard time and also think just what might be going on at home for other people. But in terms of keeping myself, I suppose, happy and motivated, WACL is an amazing network of women and I've really loved the mentoring activities they've done over the last year both the ones they've organised for, you know, for young women with WACL members, which is open to any woman in our industry. And for 100 quid, you get four one-hour mentoring sessions with four different WACL members, which I think is, is an absolute bargain. All the money is not for profit and goes towards the annual WACL Talent Award. So that's really, you know, women helping other women. And they've also done some brilliant peer-to-peer coaching for WACL members by WACL members, which has been also a really brilliant and I'd say quite nourishing way to spend an hour in my lunchtime and I've got a huge amount of support and wisdom from those and you know I suppose getting out in nature like you Sophia I live near Richmond Park I love Richmond Park in all its seasons it's always good for the soul going for a walk or run there getting out in nature doing a bit of gardening I'm not a gardener uh, definitely not an avid or expert gardener but it was a bit of a lockdown project and I've been quite proud of keeping my plants alive and having flowers to look at this year and I think that word nourishment is such a true one of of what we all needed to do and if we haven't we need to make sure that we do it now because Mm. we're all a little bit exhausted yeah very much so very wise words thank you Claire now if you don't mind I want to do a very quick fire round of Q&As with you. Just a few questions. Just say the first thing that comes to mind, just so we find out a little bit more about your thoughts. So question one, are you ready? I'm ready. (laughs) (laughs) We're giving you a magic wand to make digital marketing better. What are you going to do? Ban the word digital as a prefix to marketing. Love that. Mark Ritson wrote a brilliant article earlier in the year and it made me laugh. It was spot on. We're in August. What's your favourite holiday spot? Thailand. Of course. And your favourite holiday book? I don't have a standout favourite, but this year I'm taking Michelle Obama's book Becoming, which has been sat on my bedside table, part read for months, and also a crime fiction book called The Godmother, which was a recommendation from a friend. What's your proudest moment in marketing, Claire? Oh, good question. Probably a couple, actually, if I'm allowed to. One definitely chairing Wackle Gather 2020. I mean, it's now called Wackle Talent Festival, but turning it around last year in the midst of the pandemic, it was planned as a one-day face-to-face event. I turned it around within four weeks to a week-long series of virtual training and inspiration sessions. Working with the committee there was amazing. My heart was very full the end of that week after inspiring over 2,000 women and taking Wackle international and the other one was was less about me and more about actually a couple of women that I've managed or mentored along the way and seeing them get their first senior leadership position whether that's head of or director role that's made me really proud particularly when I've seen one of them from grad coming in as a grad and then them achieving you know their first leadership role Maybe proud to play a small part in that. And what's the one thing you're most excited about in 2022? Obviously, we don't know the surrounding environment, how it's all going to be. But what are you most excited about? 
Oh, a non-work thing. Definitely the prospect of being able to go skiing again in half term. It's my favourite family holiday. I love it. We have our fingers firmly crossed for you to go skiing, Claire. (laughs) Thank you so much for today and thank you for answering all our questions. And it's lovely to talk to you, Sophia. You're listening to Stay Engaged from IAB UK. Thank you for tuning in to this offstage audio session. And thanks to our partners at Quantcast. If you've enjoyed this session, please share it and tag at IAB UK on Twitter or Instagram. Subscribe wherever you're listening to hear the rest of the Stay Engaged sessions and for the regular IAB UK podcast. For tomorrow's Stay Engaged finale, we're joining forces with renowned podcast Oh What Now as host Judith Horn brings together prominent names to look back on where it all went wrong for ad-funded quality publishing. Judith will be joined in the studio by disgraced MP Vikram Chopra, readership editor of the British Bugle Jem Sarsons, consumer rights advocate Ruth Medley and author and founder of Cut the Noise Movement, Crispin Softly. If you value free-to-access news and quality journalism, this lively discussion will make for essential listening. That's tomorrow on Stay Engaged.